Welcome to the Renew Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Bethany. We're two millennial women who enjoy discussing God's Word and how it applies to our lives. We believe in seeking to be rooted and established in the Word and allowing its truth to penetrate every area of our lives. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Renew Theology Podcast. Today we are on episode two of a three-part series about the Old Testament law. So today we're talking about Jesus and the Old Testament sacrifices. So a lot of the law is describing different wrongdoings that might occur or sacrifices and how God wanted the Hebrews and the Israelites to carry this out. So we're going to be talking about how Jesus is pictured in the following types of sacrifices. We've got burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings. Um, When I first learned about this, I was blown away. Like, this was so cool because, I mean, I've grown up mostly in the New Testament because mostly you are in the New Testament except for stories. And you don't really spend much time in Leviticus. You kind of skip it or like skip through it or skim through it when you're doing your read through the Bible plan. And so I I knew a lot of about Jesus from the New Testament and then to be able to apply that knowledge to this section of Leviticus in the Old Testament was like opening a new present that I'd been carrying for forever. Maybe I've used that analogy before, but I think it was just it was really really cool. So we wanted to share some of that um excitement and knowledge and connection making with you. So as Bethany mentioned, there were a lot of sacrifices that were required of the Israelites. And these sacrifices were for different reasons. Um, They were to atone for sin or um, they were offerings of thanksgiving that they would do, you know, at the end of harvest or or that sort of thing. And so we're going to go into each of the types that she mentioned and just sort of pull out some of the parallels that these offerings have with Jesus. The first type of offering we're going to discuss can be found in Leviticus chapter 1, and it is the burnt offering. This offering was meant to be one as a gift. So you would bring this burnt offering to the Lord as just that, an offering to him similar to a tithe that we have today. And there were specific guidelines that needed to be followed when you were bringing this sort of offering. One of the primary things that stands out in this is that the offering itself had to be a male that was unblemished. It was to be wholly devoted to God. So the offerer, the person who is bringing the offering, of course, was blemished, right? We are all sinful. But the offering itself could not be blemished. Another interesting point is that the person who was bringing the offering had to be the one to kill it. Of course, we see this parallel in Jesus where he was offered up He did it willingly of his own accord as a free gift to us. And he, of course, was unblemished. It was us sinful humans who actually killed him. This offering also needed to be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting or tabernacle um, so that the person who's bringing the offering could be accepted by the Lord. And in John chapter 10, verse 7, we see that Jesus is the door. He is the way that we come to the Father. And so the person was not going to be allowed into the tent of meeting unless he brought his offering. 
Um, one quick little point that's kind of speculation. I don't actually remember if I got this from a video I was watching or I just kind of got it on my own, out of my own head. Um, but if you're reading in verse 16, if someone is unable to, um, afford a larger animal, they could use a bird. So his offering would be from the turtle doves or or pigeons. Um, and in verse 16, it says, talking about how to prepare this animal, this bird. Um, and one part says cutting off the tail feathers. If you think about a bird, like their feathers are beautiful. That's what makes them beautiful and, and glorious. And so it, for me, I think it might be a parallel of Jesus removing his glory and dignity before the cross. Um, and that's that's speculation. Like, don't take that and, and run with it. Unless you find someone else smarter than me who says it, then I probably has more um, of a backing. But I've just... It's not that I'm taking more liberty when I'm reading the scripture and thinking about it. I'm just looking at it harder. And when I see parallels like this, I'm more apt to just consider them rather than completely toss them. Um, that, and that thought process has come from listening to the Bible Project and some other of our well-liked people that we learn from. And just, you know what? The Bible is really incredible. And God did really great in making it complicated and and, but all work together so when I see something like this sure it could just be a coincidence but I just want to put it out there because I think it's neat and you can decide for yourself whether you think it's totally there or maybe just a nice idea either one works okay so now we're going to talk about the grain offering so this was an offering of thanksgiving so if um, something happened in your life and you're like oh I gotta go thank god for it that it's it's bread. It's, a, it's an offering of bread. So if you're reading out of the King James Version, it may say the meat offering in 1600s language. Meat is another word for bread, just so you know. Um, so in this, you would have, there's a couple requirements for it, but essentially you would use um, really fine flour. You have to pour oil, olive oil on it, put frankincense, which is a smelly thing on it, and then take it, mix it, and then you would put it with all of its frankincense and burn it in a memorial portion on the altar. So a part of it would get burnt, um, a fire offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering will belong to Aaron and his sons. It is the holiest part of the fire offerings to the Lord. So as part of this, the people are supporting the priests in feeding them. Unleavened loaves were required. Um, so in the Old Testament, leaven equals sin. It's an example of that. And think of um, when the plagues were going on in the first Passover. They God asked them not to make their Passover meal without leaven. Um, and so leaven is sin. So Jesus is sinless. If you're looking at the beginning, they have to pour olive oil on it. And Jesus is the anointed one. So the anointed one, that's literally what the word Messiah means. All of the ingredients are to be of high quality. Um, so it talks about fine flour a lot good olive oil and Jesus is the best so all of the ing- all of the ingredients have to be really like the best and Jesus is also the best and then just generally um, this is like a grain offering or like a bread been like a little patty like a pita or something um, and Jesus is the bread of life and says that in John 6 verse 35 and not only that but just like in this offering, it would have been like beaten down and like needed. Jesus was also flattened, beaten, mocked, and brought very low in 
and being whipped and everything that happened before the cross. Like, that's what happened to Jesus too, just like what happened to these loaves. In verse 13, it says that you must season the offerings with salt. So salt is flavorful. Um, It's like an example of graciousness. It's a preserving agent. And Jesus, and in, in his mission, Jesus is bringing meaning, beauty, and grace back into the world. He's preserving us through his sacrifice. Um, now, just to note, that's a bit more speculation on my part than came from a Bible teacher that I was watching. I'm just reminded of the whole verse about um, about salt losing its saltiness and it needs to be salty and so that's from Matthew 5:13 when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. It's just it's a really neat thing that when we're looking at these sacrifices and these offerings the Jewish people had been doing this and doing this and doing this when they had the temple and every single time it was just another picture of Christ that was being put forward. Next up, we have peace offerings. Peace offerings were offerings that were not for confession or atonement, but they were a means of worship, um, and they would be brought with hymns and praise as an offering to the Lord. And peace offerings were celebratory in that they were a feast that brought people together. And in a similar way, Jesus draws people to himself, and those who have salvation in him Um, are adopted into the family of God, and there is no division, but there is unity and oneness um, in Christ. Of course, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he came that we may have peace and fellowship with each other and with the Lord. Another interesting note in peace offerings is that um, like the other offerings, they were meant to, they were supposed to be brought without blemish, but in chapter 3 of Leviticus, where you find details of the pre- of the peace offerings, it's interesting that verse 3 says, And from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. It's just interesting that the fat is what is supposed to be offered to the Lord, and in those days, the fat was the best part of the animal. Although it's not an offering of atonement, and it is an offering of peace and thanksgiving and praise, um, it is to still be the best of the animal. And when we come to the Lord with worship and praise, we need to be giving him our best worship and praise and be bringing the best part of ourselves to him as an offering. So the next offering is the sin offering, and this deals specifically with a sinner that has unintentionally sinned. Um, So something accidental happened and you need to atone for it. You can't just swipe it under the carpet because you didn't mean it. It still needs to be dealt with. So the sin offering was a poignant picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. So he is the lamb without blemish that's required, whose precious blood was spilled after being publicly slain. Um, Jesus was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem, just as the sin offering was to be burnt outside the camp. 
And just as the sacrificial lamb makes atonement for an unintentional sins, Jesus' blood makes atonement for the sin of any person who realizes his guilt before God and asks for that atonement to be applied to him. In Hebrews 9 verse 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Praise the Lord that sin offerings are no longer required because we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Um, and that's a quotation from 1 Peter 1 verse 19. And it's it's just, again, this had been happening, that the Israelites had been bringing these sacrifices and that Jesus did it once for all. And the, the imagery... It, I don't understand how it can be lost on someone. It's just so clear to me. And it's very meaningful in the sense that I deserve the death that Jesus died because of my sin. Yes, there's the substitutionary atonement here of an animal taking the place of me. And it means that I deserved what was happening to this animal. But Jesus was the substitute for me in my place. And he took the blame and the punishment and in order that I might live and be forgiven um, because of his sacrifice. And it's just, it's a very poignant reminder. The final type of offering we have is the guilt offering. And the details for this offering can be found in Leviticus chapter 5, about halfway through the chapter. Guilt offerings dealt with the situation that had happened, and again, it was for unintentional sin or a breach of faith. In this offering, a ram or male lamb was to be slaughtered, and once this had happened, the blood was splashed on the altar, and then some of the blood was applied to the right earlobe, right thumb, and right big toe of the person who was making the offering, and that symbolized the the purification of the person. So the blood was applied to them and also to the altar, symbolizing the sacrifice that had been made. And then oil was applied to the same parts of the body, as well as the head of the person who was making the offering was anointed with oil as well. So there were two steps. The person was purified and then anointed. And most of the animal was burned. However, the priests were able to eat some of the portions while they were still in the sanctuary. This just symbolizes um, the demonstration of grace as a provision that was made for the wrongdoing. However, this also points to the fact that the Old Testament was not the ultimate solution to sin. Instead, it pointed to the ultimate solution that is Christ and his death and resurrection, which restores sinners into right relationship with the Lord and each other. And a reference that you can find that talks about that is Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15, um, which you can look up. So the basis of this guilt offering is the repentance by the sinner, not the prosecution of authorities. So you would make this offering when you realized you had sinned and you repented. This was not something that you did because somebody else caught you. Similar to our relationship with the Lord, we can only accept forgiveness from Jesus by repentance. As well, if you had wronged someone, and that is why you are making the offering, you were required to make right what you had done, 
and that was by returning what had been taken or damaged, also providing an additional 20% to what you had taken. So if you stole five cows, you were required to return six. Jesus also taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, when they are offering their gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you should leave your gift before the altar, go and be reconciled with them, then come and offer your gift. And this was the type of offering that Jesus was referring to, because of course, Jesus would have grown up making these sacrifices himself, right? These sacrifices were required until the time that he actually died. And so that's why he is making that instruction and expanding on that law in the New Testament. studying this um, and going through it, at the end of each of these little stanzas, it says, and he will be forgiven. So there in verse 16, it ends with, and he will be forgiven. The end of verse 18 is the same. Um, And then chapter six, the next chapter um, in verse seven, it says, and he will be forgiven for anything he may have done to incur guilt. And it just, it keeps going like that. The fact that, and he will be forgiven, it just reinforces that God is the one who does the forgiving and it's possible. And like, it, it it's a thing. It, it happens. It's not like you can't get it. It's not like you can't have it. Um, it's not like it's not there. Um, God is ready and able and, and wanting to forgive you and welcome you back into fellowship with him. And that's what these offerings are for. Now, sometimes they would go together. You could do one, like more than one at the same time. Like you might have done, done something intentionally. So you make a restitution offering and then to seal the deal, you do the fellowship offering so that you're back in fellowship with that person. And then maybe you did a grain offering as a Thanksgiving offering for what God had done to restore the relationship. Um, and I just, I see a lot of this that is mirrored in my life in, in the sense that I love when our church gets together for a meal or spends time between services, like having a hot drink and cookies. Like it feels like family getting together and just fellowship and spending time together. And you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And I can see why this fellowship offering or the peace offering would have been fun. Like you would, you would have looked forward to spending time with friends and doing it as part of an offering to the Lord and inviting him to be part of that too. Like that's, that's neat to me. And then it's also really special how Jesus is pictured in each one of these. And someday there's going to be a lot more parallels, I'm sure that are hidden from our eyes now that are going to be revealed and just, just how much Jesus was in everything from the very beginning all the way till now. He didn't just pop up and say, oh, here we go. Like, no, he, he was in the Bible pictured in the old Testament and an active partner in the Trinity from time immemorial. And it's, it's shown here in the way that God asked, asked his chosen people to conduct themselves to be in a relationship with him. It's just, it's right there. Yeah, it kind of gives a whole new meaning to Jesus saying that he came to fulfill the law. It's just really fascinating to see that 
yeah, Jesus didn't just show up for the first time in the New Testament, but he was prophesied about not only directly, but in all of these subtle ways that God wove him into the framework of who the Israelites are and where they came from and where they were going. Okay, so our question of the week is, what is the dumbest way you've been injured? Okay, so this is not a serious injury, but it's definitely my favorite dumb way I've been injured story. So I've never had a serious injury, like I've never been hospitalized for anything or had stitches or anything crazy like that. I realize I'm in the minority in saying that, but I am not a risk taker in general. So I've never been injured severely, but I have had a dumb injury. So I think I was in high school and I sliced myself open with my calculator you what? Yeah. Like I I drew blood. That is way dumber than I thought. Yeah. So it was like one of those calculators that you slide to close and I slid to close it. Like, you know, you have like your uh-huh. lid or whatever. You yeah. flip it over and it slides like yeah. clicks together. And so I like pinched myself in it and like hard enough that I actually drew blood. Wow. Yeah. It hurt. But That's yeah. like adding injury to insult. Like, not only did you hurt yourself, but you hurt yourself doing math. Yes, and I hate math. <laughs> so it was just cruelty. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. Yeah, so that's my dumb injury story. Okay, here's my dumb injury. I, too, have never broken a bone or gotten stitches. Um, so I've never, like, been hospitalized for, like, an accidental whatever. Um, the one time I think I might have actually broken a bone or maybe sprained something, I was vacuuming in my house and I smashed my toe against a door frame, like my baby toe. And I was it, like really, really hurt. And I had to like ice it and have it taped up. And that that weekend was my very first horseback riding show. <laughs> and I was like, mom, like, I think my toe is broken. This sucks. <laughs> and she's like, we'll just tape it up and we'll see what happens. And it, and like, it hurt for a really long time afterwards. And I'm pretty, like, I'm pretty sure it was broken, but your baby toe, what are they going to do? They're yeah, not going to put a cast on it. They're just going to say, wait, they're like, just going to tape it up. Yeah. Tape it up. So my mom's a nurse. So we did that. We taped it up, but I distinctly remember like riding and being like, my foot hurts real bad, but I'm in a competition right now. And so this is going to be great. <laughs> and like having a really great time, even though I had possibly broken my toe. But other than that, I've never had like that serious of an injury. Hmm. In fact, the one person in my house who has actually or one of my brothers, I should say, that has actually broken a bone is the most careful of the three of us. And it's just like, ah, man, the one person who is who is like, we called him Mr. Safety growing up because he was like always reminding us of the safety rules. And he's the one that broke his arm. All right. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week. So if you would like to contact us, you can do so by finding us on Facebook at Renew Theology Podcast, or you can find us on Instagram at Renew Theology. Or you can email us at renewtheology at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or if you are a regular listener and you enjoy this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you would give us a rating or a review on iTunes. So if you just um, scroll down to the bottom of this podcast, you should see some stars there. You can go ahead and give us a star rating or you can actually type out a review. And either way, we would really appreciate both of those options. And remember to stay tuned for our episode next week, where we will be wrapping up this series with part three, and we will be talking about 
Christians in the Old Testament law, discussing some of the common challenges that Christians are faced with regarding the Old Testament law. And we will be also talking about how to answer those challenges. So, we will chat with you next week. Bye!